scripture in the bulletin. The scripture we're asked is Matthew 13, very well-known chapter, very well-known parable. So you want to turn there, follow along. I have the King James, New King James Version, um, chapter 13, full of parables, the words of Jesus here, the parable of the wheat and the tares. <clears throat> Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to him, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Amen. Amen. Peace be seated. Morning, church. Happy Sabbath. Uh, let us pray. Loving Father, thank you once again for this privilege and honor to speak before your people. I pray that it may not be my words, but your words. Humble my heart, humble all of our hearts. And we ask that you pray, that you speak through me, and that you will edify us and strengthen us as we open your word. May I decrease and may you increase, and may you be glorified today, we pray. Cover us with the merits of Jesus, forgive us for all of our sins, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. It is a privilege to, an honor to be able to speak uh, before you today. It is a blessing. Uh, so I praise the Lord for that opportunity. Uh, let's get into the word. So today our subject is the wheat and the tears. And I'm sure we are all familiar with that uh, parable. Uh, but let, let's just go back a little before we actually read uh, through this parable. Uh, looking at the context and looking at the situation that led up to this parable. Uh, in chapter 12, you see that Jesus 
uh, was out and about, and he was in the field, and he was ministering to the people. Uh, it says that he even healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, and actually before that, uh, they were plucking grain on the Sabbath, remember? And the Pharisees were like, hey, what are you doing? You can't be plucking grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus had to uh, show him uh, the true, show them the true understanding of the Sabbath, how if you had a sheep that fell in a ditch, wouldn't you help it, right? Uh, so, you know, God wants, you know, as he said before, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, so he was constantly being assaulted by the Pharisees, so much so after he healed that man of the withered hand on the Sabbath, guess what the Pharisee, Pharisees counseled to do? To kill him. And it goes on to say from that moment on, Jesus was like low key, right? He, he realized they were trying to take his life and he was like, all right, I got to be low key. And uh, in fact, after that, he had a multitude following him and he healed. The Bible says he healed all of them. And Jesus had to tell him, hey, don't don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody what's happening. I don't want my work to get cut short. Uh, so Jesus was wise in how he moved, but unfortunately, uh, the people didn't always listen uh, to him. So looking at the context, and uh, there, there, there was also a situation where the disciples asked him, why are you speaking in parables? And Jesus told them, you know, because, you know, essentially he, those who want to see don't, those who see, don't, those who uh, see don't want to see, Right. Uh, and in, in order, in, in essence, what he was saying, uh, he wanted to make it su in such a way that if you really wanted to understand what he was saying, you would seek it out and you would search it. So those who had bad intentions wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying. Uh, so Jesus had to be wise in how he spoke and how he communicated. And thus he used parables a lot. And often these parables were a big rebuke to those who were around him, especially the Pharisees. And they were a source of great encouragement also. So it brings us to chapter 13, where Jesus now, building upon this, his teachings... And he had a series of teachings. He, he had the parable uh, of the sower, and, you know, he explained that, and very powerful uh, parable, and it uh, applies in a powerful way to us today. But then he goes on to give another parable, and it starts in Matthew chapter 13, and we will read in verse 24. We will read that, and it says here, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like, likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among them, among the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tears also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, this not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? 
he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tears, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until what? The harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tears, bind them up in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. He goes on to explain it in verse 37. Let's go there. Let's jump down to verse 37. It says, and uh, verse 36 says, Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went to the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tears of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tears are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sold them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tears are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. So here we have the parable of the tears and the weed. It, it might be better, you know, in our, uh, the language that we speak today, the parable of the weeds and the wheat, right? Uh, tears were uh, basically weeds. And I have a picture up here, um, and I have a question. Can you tell me which one is the weed and which one is the wheat? Who knows? Right? This side? Which one is this? The weed, and which one is this? Who agrees? You all agree? No? Don't look sure. It's hard to tell the difference, right? Huh? You agree? <laughs> wheat tears? Okay. Hard to tell the difference, right? This is before it's ripened. Um, let me just read this little fact here. And before I even read that, uh, in the East, it was common practice that if you want, wanted to sabotage an enemy's crop, you would go there and just scatter a whole bunch of weeds in, amongst their crop. That was common practice. Uh, today, uh, they have a wor word for it, a term for it is horticultural sabotage. Um, this is what was practiced uh, in the Middle East and those regions around that time. And when it comes to wheat especially, there is a special seed or plant that looks just like the wheat. It's called the bearded darnel. Okay? Uh, the official name is lolium temulentum. Okay? It's my best pronunciation of it. But the bearded Darnell is what is uh, uh, popular uh, known as. Uh, it says here, is a noxious weed that mimics many of the characteristics of wheat. 
for a while before they mature. The two plants are almost identical, but as they grow, the differences become apparent in the fruit. All right, unfortunately, the darnel is poisonous and uh, is in big, in big enough doses will kill a person. So it's not something that a farmer wants mixed up in their harvest. And uh, it is uh, something that would basically destroy a farmer's crop and, you know, uh, essentially they would uh, have great losses uh, because of that. Uh, so this was very serious, a serious situation uh, that Jesus uh, was referring to. Uh, also, it says here, wheat will appear brown when ripe, whereas darnell will appear black when ripe. Okay? So Jesus goes on, and he lets us know uh, in verse 27, uh, in verse 24, that there, the kingdom of God is likened unto a man who sowed good seed. In, in other words, the kingdom of God is likened unto a farmer who sowed good seed. Uh, and here it is, Jesus is the farmer. Amen? And Jesus is trying to let us know here that in this world that we're living in, we are living in a great controversy. Satan is the enemy. And Jesus is the one who is in battle, and there's a battle between Christ and Satan. Okay? Uh, he goes on to say, he goes on to say in verse 25, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. You see, Satan is seeking to sabotage God's church. God looks at, as his peop, at his people as the apple of his eye. Do you know what that means? What is the apple of your eye? Your pupil. Right? Your pupil. Anything that touches your pupil, what do you do? Try to get it out your eye, right? So the way that God looks at you and I, he looks at us like we are the pupil of his eye. In other words, anything that harms you harms Jesus. Anything that touches you and hurts you, it hurts Jesus. He feels it. And Satan knows that if he can hurt you and I, he can hurt Jesus because he can't attack Jesus. So his aim is to bring sabotage within and amongst God's people. This is what we call the great controversy. And if we, and it, in his all-wise plan, or his, you know, wannabe wise plan, I should say, Satan seeks to bring in those who resemble the Christian character to try to deceive and lead away those who are of the true Christian character. We call that the false brethren versus the true brethren. And oftentimes, the church is misrepresented by the false brethren. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
And let's see what the scripture says here in verse 5. Speaking of those who are in the church. Actually, let's read a little bit before that. It says this know in verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a what? Form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This is talking about the church, brothers and sisters. These are all the different characteristics and elements that are going to be working within and amongst God's church. But I say to you, it is still God's church. God is in the business of developing our characters, of leading us to be formed into his image, while Satan is in the, in the business of counterfeiting God's character and leading people to, to stray and stay away from his church. Right? This is what we call the great controversy. And it's a battle over our minds, brothers and sisters. The battle over our minds. And it takes place in every form, in every area of our lives. And we must realize that every decision we make, right, every uh, thought that comes through our mind and every choice that we make, we are deciding which side of the controversy we're going to play on. Are we going to play on Christ's side? Or are we going to be on Christ's side? Or are we going to be on Satan's side? And this is what we have to understand, uh, especially in the times that we're living in. We're, we're living in a time where truth and error are so close, right? We're living in a time where uh, that which you have known for, for thousands of years to be true, right? Between, let's say, for example, between a man and a woman, that which we have known, that we have understood to be true is now being confused. This is the time that we're living in and the confusion is even entering within our church. Notice what it says as we read on. Verse 26. It says, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tears also. So the servants of the house, sorry, we're in Matthew chapter 13, verse 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Didn't you just sow good seed in the field? From whence then hath it tears? He said unto them, An enemy has done this. And the, service that the servants then said, this is pretty wise, right? Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, no. You see, Satan has his agents within the church. 
And we must acknowledge that. That is the reality of the situation that we are in. Within God's uh, church, you have those who are true and those who are false, those who are good and those who are not so good, right? Hypocrites, as we would say. But there is a temptation for us who feel as if we are in the right and we know how to identify those who are true and those who are false to go forth now and do what? Seek to identify, seek to uproot those who we consider as what? False brethren. There is that temptation. And I understand it. But we have, to be, we have to be wise, brothers and sisters. We have to be wise. We have to be careful and understand the character of God. Now, sometimes we have the spirit of the sons of thunder. You, you guys know who the sons of thunder right? are, right? Remember when Jesus was walking and uh, the Samaritans were ignoring him, and they were like, listen, what? You can't do that to Jesus. You can't just ignore him. And he is like, they, they were like, can we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? Right? Sometimes that spirit is within us. Right? Those who we see, who we feel as if disrespecting God, we want to call down fire and, Lord, destroy them on the spot. Right? Or we want to use our words to uproot them. But is that, is that God's way? Is that God's method? No. Let's look at Moses, even Moses. What did Moses do? when he was confronted by Dathan and Abiram and, and, and Korah and all these different uh, people uh, who were seeking to what? Take his position away from him. What did he do? Who remembers? He knelt in prayer. He knelt in prayer. And as he knelt in prayer, he allowed the Lord to do his work and the true were separated from the false, and God was the one who did that work. He handled the situation. Right? Right in the church. Right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a pleasant experience, right? But it was something that had to be done. But there's a difference when God does it versus when we do it. We have to be careful, brothers and sisters. We have to be careful. Uh, let's... <clears throat> Let's look at Ezekiel. Let's go to the Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, and chapter 9. And we're familiar with this verse here. Ezekiel chapter 9. How does God want us to deal with the unrighteousness that we may see within his church? Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4. Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that what? Sigh and that cry for all the uh, what? abominations that be done in the midst thereof. God is seeking for those who are crying and sighing over the things that they're seeing in the church, not smiling and laughing. Are you with me? God is seeking for those who are sighing, those who are mourning, those who are realizing that 
these individuals, whoever they may be, are leading the church and corrupting individuals in the church, but yet we are praying, we are sighing that, listen, Lord, please work a change. Lord, change their hearts. Lord, work on them in a mighty way, not laughing or smiling about the issue. Right? God doesn't want us to take joy in evil in the church. God doesn't want us to take it within our own hands and handle it ourselves. He has given, he has uh, set up a system for that, and it will happen. But in his time, not in our time. You know, we have to be careful. There are many who are uh, speaking evil of the church, criticizing, especially those who are in leadership. And they may deserve criticism, right? There may be things that are wrong in the church. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we cannot call out sin, right? The Bible lets us know that we should call out sin. And those who refuse to follow the principles of God, they need to be separated from the church. That's simple, right? But God does not want us to disparage the church and set an example before the world and misrepresent the church before the world. If you are, are speaking and, and, and teaching against the leadership of the church, Right? If you are in such a way outwardly disparaging the church, what are those who are outside going to think? Who want to come into the church? Right? They will see what? Disunity. Disunity. There are certain things that we need to, you know, keep within and deal with within, but not expose and, you know, let it go afar so that we could set a bad example for those who are seeking to follow Jesus. Sighing and crying, the Bible says. Sighing and crying. Not smiling and rejoicing. Sighing and crying is what Jesus is calling us to do. I want to read a quote here. And it's very applicable to the times that we're living in. Uh, now, there you may not see individuals today say that the church is Babylon. But essentially, this is what they're saying, right? Um, this is from Review and Herald, uh, September 12, 1893. Uh, you can read it when you have a chance. It says, those who have pro proclaimed the Seventh-day Adventist church as Babylon have made use of the testimonies in giving, giving their position a seeming support. But why is it that they did not represent that which for years has been the burden of my message? The unity of the church. What has been the unity of, of her message? The unity of the church. Why did they not quote the words of the angel? Press together, press together, press together. Why did they repeat the admonition and state the principle that in union there is strength? 
In division, there is weakness. It, it is such messages as these men have borne that divide the church and puts us to shame before the enemies of truth. And in such messages is plainly revealed the specious working of the great deceiver who would hinder the church from attaining unto perfection in unity. These teachers follow the sparks of their own kindling, move according to their own independent judgment, and cumber the truth with false notions and theories. They refuse the counsel of the brethren and press on in their own way until they become just what Satan would desire to have them, unbalanced in mind. Brothers and sisters, there are those who are trying to destroy from within and without. And we have to be wise, brethren. They may not say the church is Babylon. They may not, uh, you know, in such an eloquent, eloquent way uh, reveal their plans. But by their example, by certain key things that are said, you can see where they're leading people to. God is not for disunity. He's for unity. Yes, we may disagree. Yes, we may quarrel. Right? But it's for us to handle those situations. You see, if you see someone in leadership doing something that they're not supposed to do, and instead of approaching them and speaking to them in love and counseling with them and, you know, trying to get them back on the right track, you, in essence, leave the church because of the evil that's in it. How in the world is the church going to change? How in the world is that individual going to change? It doesn't make any sense. If all those who are, are, are affected by those who we may consider as tears within the church and we get up and leave, then you're just going to have a bunch of tears in the church? Where's the wheat going to be? It doesn't make any sense. We have to, to, to instruct and counsel in love, brothers and sisters. We must correct in love, and we must follow the right protocol. Jesus lets us know that we need to uh, step aside with our brother, talk to them privately, right? If they sin publicly, call it out publicly, right? And and if they don't accept another brother, then what? Bring who? Bring it to the church, right? And let them handle the situation, but not leave the church. Last I heard, the 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 wicked were to be sifted out, not the righteous, right? There are many evils that may appear in the church. It's going to be like that all the way until uh, the end of time. It's going to be like that. But it doesn't mean that we are to partake in that or uh, be discouraged by that. You see, there are those who are... Who are uh, there are those who look in the church and they stay away from the church because of all the hypocrites that are in the church. But that's not a reason. You have hypocrites everywhere, right? You have hypocrites in the club, hypocrites at the store, hypocrites here, 
right? There are hypocrites everywhere. That's not a reason to not join the church, right? You join the church because it is a movement that is being led by God. It's following the scriptures, and it's leading you, it's, it's teaching you on a path of righteousness. And you are to be an individual through which change could happen, right? This is what we need to realize. This is what we need to realize. Let's read on. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. Reading on. And it says here, verse 29, it says, But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tears, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tears, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. I have another picture here. Uh, ben, if you could just slide that over for me. Jesus says, wait. Wait till it matures, right? Wait, wait until the harvest. And then when the harvest come, you'll be able to tell the difference. Now, which one is the wheat? Clearly. And then which one is the tear? This is the bearded darnell. As it grows, as it matures and bears fruit, it becomes black, right? Darker than uh, the wheat. The wheat becomes brown. You see what Jesus was saying? In this great controversy, Jesus, it, it started in heaven. Jesus could not immediately wipe out Satan. Why? Amen. In other words, if you are a parent and you have children and one child just disrespects you and, you know, gives you the talk back and boom, shh, take their life, what are the other children going to think about you? They're going to be traumatized. They're going to be afraid. <laughs> they're going to say, oh, mommy, uh, you know, they, they, they're going to be uh Obedient out of fear, not out of love. It's the same thing with Satan. God had to allow his evil to mature so that all can see what his true motives were, what his true plans were. In the same way with the brethren in the church. God has not put it to us to pull up the tears, right, and, and to, you know, condemn those who we feel that are evil because you do that to the wrong person, maybe they have influence. You might be right, but that person may have influence with this person. And you move there, you try to uproot them from the church and, you know, do what you, you want with, without the fullness, those who are followed or are influenced by that person will be uprooted also, right? Satan knows how to influence others. And he works through those who may 
uh, you know, they, they may look nice or uh, sound nice, may appear smart, right? And he uses that to lead other people astray. So we have to be careful. We can't just, uh, you know, condemn others just because uh, we feel it is our power to do that or, you know, our purpose to do that. We must move in a wise way. We must allow the character of evil to develop. And God tells us when it's going to develop. When is that? At the what? The harvest. At the harvest. When is the harvest? Close of probation. Right? Not at the second coming, but at the close of probation. is At that time, you are going to see who are going to be the true brethren versus the false brethren. Right? You're going to see who are going to bow down to the mark those within our ranks, and who is going to stand for the right, though the heaven may fall. We must be careful. And again, I say, God has, he has given us the work to call out sin. There's nothing wrong with that. But he has not given us the work to judge the motive. Right? We must be careful of judging the motive. Uh, we cannot read men's heart. Man looks at the outward, but God, God looks at what? The heart. So we must be careful. Notice what it says here. This is Review and Herald, uh, September 5th, 1893. It says, although there are evils existing in the church and will be until the end of the world, the church in these last days is to be the light of the world. That is polluted and demoralized by sin. The church, enfeebled and defected, defective, needing to be reproved, warned, and counseled, is the only object upon earth which Christ bestows his supreme regard. Do you understand that? The church, though it may be enfeebled and defective, though we may see things in leadership that's not right, what happens? They need to be what? Reproved and warned and counseled. It is still, still what? The only object upon earth which Christ bestows his supreme regard. We have to keep that in mind. Though you may see those uh, who are seeking to bring apostasy or, you know, different uh, elements within the church, that's not right. Pray for your brethren. Counsel with your brethren. Correct them even. But don't condemn them. Right? We know that God is working in his church. We know that God loves his church. And if we take it upon ourselves to do the thing, the, the work of uprooting the tears, we are not following his plan. We are following our own plan. So we must study. And this is why we need to study, church. You realize that God is going to allow false doctrine to enter into the church? So, so that, so that, it will lead us to study. He will allow 
certain things to enter into his church so that it could lead us to study. So instead of, you know, getting all upset and getting all crazy and leaving the church and, you know, whatever, study. Show it from the scriptures. Show those who may be uh, promoting false doctrines from the scriptures the right way. That's all we have to do. Right? Make a stand for the right. And as you stand, it's going to influence others to stand. And as they see that you're fearless, it will, it, it will influence others. And before you know it, you'll be seeing reforms in the church left and right. Those who, you, who you've seen, uh, who, you, who you think may be the tears, you, you'll be sur- surprised. They'll repent. They'll, they'll make changes. Right? So it's not our work to do. Our work is to stand for the truth. Amen. Though the heavens may fall, teach the truth. Remember, the early church had those who were tears. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? Right? What did they do? Lie? Steal the money of God? Right? Remember Simon Magus? What did he do? He brought in what? Spiritualism? Right? Witchcraft? Simon Magus, remember, remember him? And there was another individual, Demas, who, said, who Paul said, who Paul said uh, he forsook. <laughs> Paul, uh, Demas forsook Paul. In other words, he, he just left the church. He abandoned ship. And then you had Judas. We know Judas. Right? He betrayed Jesus with a what? Kiss. So there are always going to be men and women in the church who are going to seek to corrupt and and have negative influences in the church, but it's not for us. It is not for us to try to uproot them. Let God do that work. All will grow together, the Bible says, until the harvest, the close of probation. And then we can see clearly uh, who is in the right from who is in the wrong. Okay, we must, we must be careful. Let me read this quote here. It says, Satan will work his miracles to deceive. He will set up his power as supreme. The church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall. What did I say? The church may appear as about to fall, but it does not fall fall. It remains while the sinners in Zion will be sifted out. The chaff separated from the precious wheat. This is a terrible ordeal. This is a what? Terrible. You know, this is not something we're excited about. Souls are going to be lost for eternity. This is not something to, to smile about. Right? But nevertheless, it must take place. None but those who have been overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony will be found with the loyal and true, without spot or stain of sin, without guile in their mouths. The remnant that purify their souls by obeying the truth gather strength from the trying process, exhibiting the beauty of holiness and the sur- in a the surrounding apostasy. 
what we are about to experience in the world and in the church is going to be a terrible ordeal. We are going to need to pray. We are, are going to need to pray like we never prayed before. And if we're smart, we, will, we would prepare from now. Because the way things are moving, and they're moving so quickly, things are about to come to a head within the church and without the church. So we must make sure that we are connected to Jesus. We must make sure that we have a strong bond with our Savior or else when that time comes, we will fold. We may think we are good, but only the trying process will reveal that. We have had many trials uh, in our church. Many people come and go, many uh, seeking to call people out of the church, many people uh, developing uh, themselves into independent atoms. There's another quote here uh, that I wanted to read here <coughs> uh, real quickly. Speaking about those who, it says here, I know that the Lord loves his church. It is not to be disorganized or broken up into independent atoms. What did I say? Independent what? Atoms, right? I know that the Lord loves his church. It is not to be disorganized or broken up into independent atoms. There is not the least consistency in this. There is not the least evidence that such a thing will be. Those who shall heed this false message, is what? False message and try to leave in others will deceive and uh, will, will be deceived and prepared to receive advanced delusions and they will come to naught. So I don't know if you realize, uh, I don't have the quote here, but in the great controversy, uh, she, she, she mentions how in the last days spiritualism is going to rise. We're seeing it rise uh, today, but I don't, I don't think it's at the fullness of where uh, she says it's going to be as yet. She says it's going to rise to a point it's going to look just like Christianity. Are you with me, church? It's going to look just like Christianity. It's going to rise and gain such influence that those outside the church, we, we look at the Protestants and, and the Catholics, and, you know, uh, many are going to be deceived. But the same thing is going to happen within the, within the Adventist church, brothers and sisters, right? Uh, they, they, there is a form, uh, there was a time when we, uh, it was being exposed a lot. Uh, what did they call it? It is uh, a form of meditation. Uh, that was developed by Ignatius Loyola. Uh, spiritual, spiritual formation, right? Where you are praying, right? But as you're praying, uh, you are imagining different things and uh, or imagining Jesus uh, coming down to you and speaking to you and, you know, all these little nuances, but when you look at it, or, or, or you're, 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 when you're praying, you're, you're, you're saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, right? These are the little nuances that are going to take place, and you're going to see those 
uh, who are into witchcraft and those who are into the church, they're going to unite, brothers and sisters. It's going to come to that point. Right. And this is why we must study and we can't allow uh, individuals to separate us. Right. God is not in the business of independent atoms. Right. Uh, we have confusion in our church today about the role of independent ministries. And I, I, I think it's 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 being confused to the detriment of many individuals. Uh, the terms that are used are regular lines and irregular lines. And uh, the idea is, or what has been spread, is that the irregular lines represents those who are not in the church, right? They are not a part of the conference. Uh, they are doing, uh, they are following the scripture, the Bible and the spirit of prophecy the right way, just as uh, we're supposed to uh, follow it. Uh, versus those in the conference, the organized system, that they're uh, leading people astray. That's the, that's the sentiment out there. But really and truly, when we look at the concept of regular and irregular lines, the idea is those in the regular lines are in the conference, yes. It's the conference, orga organized conference churches. But the irregular lines are other means and avenues that God uses also to work with the conference churches to bring about the gospel to the world. In other words, point in case, we know that we have a health message. Amen? We have a health message. And in that health message, you may be impressed to start a restaurant, a health food store. Right? And in starting that health food store or that restaurant, you're not going to go and separate and start a whole new movement. You're going to minister in the community and lead those individuals that come to your restaurant to the church. Not to start a whole new church. That's not what God wants. That doesn't make any sense, brethren. Right? So, in other words, take for example, you have schools like Weimar, right? You have schools like um, uh, Yushi Pines, right? You have all these different uh, schools that are not a part of the conference, but yet they work together with the conference. What Ellen White was talking about was that there are certain instances in, in, within the history of the church where the organized lines were not doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't supporting the work that needed to be supported. So she said, listen, God has put upon you a work to do. Do it, right, in the irregular lines, but still work with the regular lines, right? So there's much confusion out there, and here we are in a place today where we have independent churches and separate from the conference, and, you know, there's nothing wrong if, you know, you're, you're a small church and you're uh, building up, but the idea is to eventually join the conference. The idea is to join the or organized church, not stay independent, right? But you have individuals who are of the sentiment that we should stay independent and, and leave the conference churches because the conference churches are promoting apostasy. 
if they're promoting apostasy, go and tell them. Go and rebuke those who are promoting apostasy, right? That's the solution. Not to start your own movement, right? We have to be careful, brethren. Deception is easy. It is easy to be deceived, I should say. And we have to make sure that we are studying the scriptures and we know how God is leading us in his church. As it says here, God wants us to be unified. The idea is to be in unity, not to be separate, not to cause division amongst ourselves. The idea is to grow together until the harvest. When that Sunday law is passed, you're going to see those who are true from those who are false. But I want to encourage us, brethren, let us not try to divide the church. Let us not try to separate ourselves from the church. Let us seek to encourage one another, correct one another even. It doesn't, church doesn't always look pretty, right? I, as a, as a uh, brother, I know he always said, uh, when you went on the ark, uh, Noah's ark, there was all kind of smelly animals on that ark, but they stayed in that ark. Right, all kinds of uh, smelly things in that ark, but stayed in that ark and they were protected. In the same way, stay in the church, brethren. Fill your mind with the truth. Don't just listen to what somebody says. Go and open up the scriptures. Compare scripture with scripture. There are times where, you know, I'm listening to a sermon and that person sounds good. Man, he's right on point. Yes, 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 everything that he says. But then when I go back, in my private time, and I review those scriptures, I say, wait, this was good, but not this. Right? So if you are just living, if your Christianity is based just off of sermons, and it's not based off of private study, it's easy to be led astray. Let us study. Let us pray. Jesus loves us. He wants us to be uh, in his kingdom. And we need to do our part in order to be a part of his kingdom. I want to encourage those who may look at the church and see the vision, especially if you're not a member of the church or you're new to the church or, you know, you may see confusion sometimes. You may see disarray sometimes amongst God's people. Something, you know, things that you don't like, things that are not right, especially those who are new in the church. But I would say to you, hold on. Study the scriptures. If you see something is wrong, go and talk to your brother about it. Maybe your perception of it is wrong, right? Maybe you're correct. But the only way to know is by what? Talking to that brother or sister. There's nothing wrong with confrontation. I think we're afraid at times of that. But we should confront our leaders, confront our pastors in love, with respect. And you'll be surprised of the changes that you could uh, make. There's always going to be hypocrites. Let's not that, let that deter us from church. Right? We are worshiping God not because of man, but because of who? Because of Jesus. 
Let's always remember that. It's because of Jesus, and God has put it upon your heart to be a part of this message. So, so be a part of building up the church, not tearing it down. I, I want to make an appeal, and I always make this appeal. First, I want to make an appeal to all of us. If, 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 if it's your desire to build up the church, and not scatter, not to divide the church. I'm going to ask you to please stand with me. If that is your desire, and you, uh, you cannot do this of your own, it comes only through the power of Christ, right? If it's your desire to build, not divide and, and scatter, you want to be in unity and in love, please stand. I also make an appeal for those who may have, may be new to this, Right? Uh, you haven't been baptized. You haven't uh, surrendered your heart to God. Uh, you, you know, or maybe you have, but you, you haven't uh, been baptized. I, and you want to learn more. You want to study more. You want to make that full commitment to Jesus. Our heads are bowed. Our, our eyes are closed. And if there's anyone under the sound of my voice and you, to the church. It's all new to you. You want to learn more. If that is your desire to commit your heart to Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's your desire. There's anyone in here? There's anyone in here? You may want to commit. There, there may be things that you want to learn more about Jesus. Just raise your hand. Okay. Let us pray, church. And let us ask God to humble our hearts. If it's a word from the Lord, humble our hearts so that we may receive it and be together in love and in unity. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time that we have to gather together to learn more of you. Lord, you understand that the tears and the wheat must grow together. And we accept that, Lord. We accept your power, your wisdom. We may see things that we don't like in the church, Lord. But, Lord, we know that it is for you to separate. It is for you to do the work of sifting. Help us to accept that. Help us to humble our hearts. Help us to study. Help us to stand for the right, though the heavens may fall. Not accept apostasy. Not accept rebellion and straying away and false doctrines, false teachings. But not leaving the church either. Help us to stay within the ark and confront the evil. Confront that which we may see as wrong. Help us to bring and, and gather together, press together in unity. You understand the challenges. You understand our individual hearts. So we just ask that you humble us and you help us where we're weak. And we ask you all these things, not because we're worthy, but only in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.